Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. A quick little We Have Ways pod from James and I today as we're doing a live episode tonight. We don't want to spoil you, eh, do we? We don't want to spoil you. We want you to appreciate us. Right, join us at 8.30pm UK time. Um, that's, is, that's, it's not Zulu, is it? Zulu plus one, because Zulu is um, GMT, isn't it? Yes. And we're on British summertime now. Join us at 8.30pm UK time, Zulu plus one for a live stream. We're going to answer loads of your questions and there's the chance for you to join in during the show. Um, we'll be tweeting out links today. May I say how refreshing it was to do a thing where you're going out live and there's a live stream because I broadcast on the radio quite a lot and what you have is the emails coming in and half of them are going, why is this arsehole on my radio? So it was very nice to be with a group of people actually going, I'm really enjoying <laughs> listening to this. So so um, that in itself was a unique and refreshing broadcasting experience. In the meantime, we, um, we'll be tweeting out links today to let you know how to get um, onto the live stream. In the meantime, some intriguing <clears throat> correspondence. James, um, uh, we're, we're just giving you a nugget for this Thursday bonus. This is from Ryan Van Bibber, who's the editor of Outside magazine, which is aimed at outdoor enthusiasts. Oh, dear, Ryan. Right. Um, uh, could you tell the joggers to at least acknowledge when I step out of their way, please? Um, hello, mates. <laughs> Um, hello mates, blokes, which makes me sound more like a tourist. Anyway, thanks for upping your output on the pod. It's a wonderful distraction in these times. I usually listen to your show while I'm running as it makes it a somewhat more tolerable activity. I know you've talked about training on the show a few times, specifically with regards to pilots and officers, but I'm curious as to what kind of physical <laughs> training standards were expected for various armors um, in combat during the war. That is an Excellent question, because after all, the, the big revolution that Montgomery has often held up as big, if nothing else, is that he was really into fitness and training and he got mm -hmm. men running. And and that was the sort of, you know, when he started training, the um, uh, 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 when he was given the, the job of training an army properly um, after Dunkirk. Um, so, you know, in fact, it's um, Milligan in, in, in his book goes, then Monty became, becomes a chief. All the beer was stopped. And we all suddenly had to start running. None of us like Monty or something like that. <laughs> but but in the field, what do they do? I yeah. Mean, so it's very interesting. Well, if you're if you're on the front line, you're not doing PT. Okay, you're, you're busy fighting, yeah. and that's what you're doing. So your 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 PT, your physical training, is to gear you up to cope with the stresses and strains that you're going to have. And the point yeah. is, is uh, and and obviously, I, you know, I'm doing this this Sicily books. I've been reading um, training notes from the Sicilian campaign by the US, and also a whole load yeah. of training notes done by Lana Wigram, who was from the battle schools, who yes. was sent over and commanded the battle the, school guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah who, who temporarily commanded the Buffs um, in 78th Division. Uh, who we were should attacking... do a podcast about. <clears throat> about about him and his battle school, I think, because that's just that's such an interesting subject. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, 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 yeah. And his grandson is also called Lionel Wigram, and he's a movie producer who does a lot of films with Lionel Richie. Lionel right. Richie, Greg, um, Figgy Richie, you know, you know, um, Lock, Stock, Two, Taking, Smoking. Violence. Used to be married to Madonna. Yeah, a Guy, Guy Richie. Richie. Yeah, Guy Ritchie. Anyway, yes, yeah, so that's him. But that's just by the by. But anyway, so they, so all the comments coming out in the, in the training notes are all saying. We have to be tougher to deal with what we've got, what we're doing. 
because no one had done mountain warfare before. You, there's a few sort yeah. of high high hills and things in northern Tunisia, but no one had done actual mountain warfare. And no one had been on the go quite as much as some of the units. So some of the units had quite a comparatively easy time of it in in um, in Sicily. The big red one, the 1st Infantry Division, which is basically in yeah. it the whole time. I mean, ru- ru- you know, they, they went from the 10th of July all the way through to end of the Battle of Turina on the 6th of, of August. Um in 1943 and they were all absolutely exhausted and one of the big messages that comes through goes we have to up the game with our physical training and our physical training has to and it has to also include going up mountains carrying packs up mountains doing long marches you know marching for a long time doing 55 miles in 30 30 hours and all this kind of stuff and really really cranking that up the moment a campaign is over no one is in the line the whole time you you just can't be and actually one of the things i've been kind of working on is this is this actually what does a divisional attack mean and it's quite interesting the number of men that are actually involved in a divisional attack at any one moment infantry actually attacking is really small it's like five hundred yeah. men, seven hundred and fifty men, something like that, out of yeah, uh, out of no, it's about fifteen hundred men out of a division of fifteen fifteen thousand are actually in the front line on fighting at any one time. But those guys are having an absolutely punishing time across how wide a front? Well, at Troyan, it's about ten miles. Right, uh, and the problem, of course, you, the problem you've got is it doesn't matter how much artillery you've got, it doesn't matter how much how much smoke bombs you've got, mortars, P-40s coming over and dropping 500-pound bombs and strafing and all the rest of it. Yeah. To get ground, you've still got to get up out of your, your scraping the ground. You've got to get up from that shelter behind that rock, and you've actually got to get up. And necessarily, you've got to get the high ground, which means you're going to be exposed, which means you're going to be seen, which means you're going to be vulnerable. Yeah. And if you're, a, yeah. if you're in a squad of 10 men... You know, and on that very rocky ground, a mortar shell goes off. That could wipe out all 10 men just like that, even if you're spaced 10 yards apart, because you've got, particularly on that rocky ground, you haven't got the soil to absorb the blast. And you've also got the added effect of all the splinters, exactly. So you might have two dead, uh, one or two more kind of really badly wounded, and another six out of the action. So that's just gone. Just like that, so you can see how these these how these attacks start to bog down because what happens is, you know, the commanders, the platoon commander, or the squad leader has been killed or wounded or whatever. So you haven't got that person going, "Come on, just keep keeping, keep moving, keep moving, keep yeah, moving." Yeah. They're conscripts. They hit the dust. They just don't move. Uh, and so what you're doing is you're 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 gaining ground by increments, by kind of inches, yards, you know, a few hundred yards at a time. Then you've got to wait for nightfall. Then there's a counterattack. The moment there's a counterattack, that's your moment to hammer the enemy again because they're then yeah. out of their exposed positions and whatever they're hammering at you when you're attacking, you can deliver kind of yeah. five times, ten times as worse, as, as yeah. bad. And you just attrit them. You just grind them down. And that's why if you don't win in the first couple of hours, it's going to take five days or four days or six days or whatever it's yeah, going to yeah, be. Yeah. Because it's just, there is just no alternative. And the only way you can win is just by grinding down the enemy when, and this is, and this is this is when people start talking about oh the allies are a bit slow or oh, they're a bit stodgy or whatever. There is simply no alternative to gaining ground other than wholesale slaughter of your infantry yeah. units. Which, if you're German on the Eastern Front or or Red Army on the Eastern Front, you're prepared to take that hit. But obviously, democratic armies aren't. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so fitness, so fitness becomes a thing that that people are super conscious of. They work on, and after all, you recover from injuries much more quickly and easily if you're yes. if you're fitter. It's the, yes. it's the other another a really important factor um, that that fit 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 people get better better faster. I mean, the other thing, the other thing that's really interesting, of course, is that is that you look at. Um, when I went to Afghanistan four, four, five, six years ago, I remember that, 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 that there were a lot of very bulky people, for, for clearly very, very fit people, but they were really bulky because they've been in the gym, they're working out, putting muscles on, all this sort yeah. of thing. You look at people from the Second World War, they're all wiry. You don't see bulky people. And obviously the food, the diet isn't there to bulk up. You know, you can't have steak for breakfast every day and all that sort of thing. And you do what you do wonder. It's, it, I always, you always look at it and it looks like a different kind. The way rugby players used to look like basically um, uh, normal people. <laughs> the, the, do you remember Dr. Webb, look. who was the, was the fullback, who used to do a bit of kicking yeah. and stuff? I mean, he was a really yeah. spindly fellow, wasn't he? I mean, I think the thing is, is, is but I remember, I remember meeting this. I got to know this SAS guy who was in, um, in the Gulf War. And um, it wasn't mm. Annie McNabb, but but it was in that that kind of gang. And none of those guys were big. They weren't beefcakes. They yeah. were sinewy. And I actually, I think yeah. a lot of our, uh, and I remember when I was in Afghan of Afghanistan again, the guys weren't beefcakes. Again, they had this kind of they they had big hands, and they they were you could see they were mentally and physically really really tough but they weren't kind of yeah. sort of big bulging guys whereas yeah. i worked with this american guy um absolutely lovely guy um uh who who is a beefcake uh and you know he's in that kind of mixed martial arts stuff and all the rest of it and he's got bulging pecs and you know uh, and when you think of american special forces that's kind of sort of what you think about but surely his tummy's going to rumble if he's if he's doing nine days on one ration yeah but they're american so no. they're going to get more rations aren't they yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah, oh, but I think, yeah. but, but but to go back to the original point, the, the point I was going to say was 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 yes, physical training is really, really, really important. Um, absolutely vital. You can't do it when you're on the go, but there is a kind of there is a battle exhaustion which takes over, which yeah. has got nothing to do with physical fitness. Really, it's just yeah. to do yeah, with yeah, you yeah, know yeah. you've been in the line too long and you need to get out and have some more and off. And so, you, but when you were rotated out of the line and you're and, and you're not in reserve, but when you're you know when you're out actually out of the line. They're, they're, would they be back to running and press ups and uh, well no to start off with to start off with they're just given a few days of kind of sort of you know having a dip in the med and kind of going out on the booze yeah. and and you know and seeing some whores and stuff um uh, and then yeah then you then you start the training process again and yeah and absolutely yeah. you're doing that yeah completely and of course it's much easier in 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 the eto for for allied troops because of course they're not being strafed and shot at and bombed behind their their own yeah. lines and they don't have partisan shooting yeah, at them. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we hope that answers your question, uh, Ryan. Um, enjoy the outside. It's about the, the only thing is, well, what, while you're still allowed out, mate. You know, <laughs> um, what this country needs now is a burst of really bad weather. <laughs> God help us. Anyway, we will see you tonight for our live cast at 8.30. Details on the We Have Ways pod um, uh, uh, Twitter account. Lovely talking to you. Just nice to see you, James. Take care. Cheerio. Yeah, cheerio. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, 
Was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.